Welcome to the Spirit of Coaching podcast, a show that brings new solutions to the world of coaching and athletics. I'm your host, Scott Fox, a mental health and sport performance coach with over 13 years of experience in the field. And my guest today is Jan Watkins. Jan has, uh, is an amazing life and performance coach whose practice integrates traditional and non-traditional modalities uh, like EFT and EMDR and other energy psychology techniques that we're going to learn about today. She also has uh, an amazing array of education degrees. She's got an, a law degree. She is a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed independent clinical social worker, a certified family mediator. She's got a CPA and an MBA. I actually don't know if there's anybody else in the country who would have all of that collection, which is amazing. And Jan helps her clients really clear limiting beliefs and work through difficult emotions, including trauma, so that they can eliminate their barriers to either playing their best on the field or just being their best and happiest in life. And she's been doing this work for more than 20 years. She's an expert practitioner, trainer, and mentor. And uh, with that, Jan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Scott. It's my pleasure. And it's always fun to talk about this simple technique that really is transformational transformational in any area of someone's life, whether it's sports, personal, business, um, spirituality. It's it's a very simple technique that I would want someone to tell me about if I didn't know about it. And so I'd, I'd love to be here today and talk about it with, with your, you and your guests. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. My audience here is largely sport coaches and athletes and trainers. And, uh, you know, you and I are, are um, passionate about trying to help people uh, we, we've both done work with athletes and non-athletes, and um, I'd love to have you on the show here because I want to provide some new solutions for uh, coaches and athletes that are out there. And, you know, you and I dabble <laughs> more than dabble in uh, what we'll call energy psychology. It's hard to describe sometimes what we do or what that is. Could you give your definition of uh, the work that you do? Well, really quite simply, it, it, it sounds a little intimidating energy psychology, but in the late maybe 70s, 80s, we started having a transformation in psychotherapy field. And we're not talking about psychotherapy necessarily today, but what happened was that we started to realize we had to add a, a somatic or a physical component to changing our beliefs and our habits. And that came up through experimentation with acupuncture, acupressure, kinesiology, um, somatic experiencing, which was created by Peter Levine. And in a nutshell, it kind of got uh, put under the umbrella of energy psychology because we started to realize the body is an energy system and the body, uh, the heart is an energy system and the brain is an energy system. And by tapping into that literally and physically, we can have powerful and quick changes in what we thought before was not reversible. Wow. Wow. So these are, again, new techniques to a lot of the world, but they've been around for how long? How many decades? Well, back in the 60s and 70s, when acupuncture was brought over from Asia and people started, psychologists on the West Coast started experimenting. And it was 1985 that Roger Callahan wrote the book, Five Minute Phobia Cure, where he discovered that simply by tapping on one particular point, he was able to cure his patient of a water phobia. And from then it just was wide open. And Gary Craig learned from Roger Callahan and created a really simple, 
he called the 100% overhaul system of Roger Callahan's more complicated system. And it's what we know as EFT or emotional freedom technique today. It's been reduced to the term tapping. Um, very simple, very user-friendly, applicable in your personal life, your professional life, your sports life, um, able to reduce stress easily and even address trauma. So it's a really simple, it's, if you had one tool in your toolbox, this is a tool you would want. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, Jan, you've been using EFT how long? I discovered it when my kids were very young. A doctor gave me a one-page handout, a holistic doctor. And I thought, well, that looks a little weird. Don't quite get it. She did it with me. I didn't understand. I didn't see anything happen. But I took the paper home. I pulled it out when my daughter, who is now 36, was in middle school and she couldn't sleep. We were at an away soccer tournament. And you know how devastating it is if you can't sleep before a soccer tournament. It was about two in the morning. So I said, well, let's try this piece of paper. So we started out with a paper and it told us to tap on a particular point and say something like, even though I can't sleep, I accept myself. So we went through that. And long story short, she was able to sleep. And I thought, well, that's just a fluke. It was two o'clock. She was going to sleep anyway. So what you'll need to do and what I did was I tried it again and I tried it again and I tried it again. And I started to realize it worked. And for me, Scott, what was impactful was that I saw it work on my kids. Had I tried it on myself, I'm not sure I would have seen it as easily, but sometimes when you see another person shift, as you have seen with your kids in coaching and your own children, um, you, it's, it's sometimes easier to see. So it's been over 20 years. And from that point, my kids were my first guinea pigs. And, uh, and I, I was amazed. And they were in any sport you could think of, all three of them. And so we were trying it on golf and crew and tennis and soccer and baseball and swimming and basketball. Um, to, to lessen anxiety, to deal with intimidation by other players, to deal with coaches they didn't like. Um, and I just saw that it had an application in, in every part of their lives. And then I went on from there to learn more. Well, that's awesome. And so I think you just, your last sentence there says a lot in any part of their life. And I believe that the, you know, the modern sport coach, and this is my thesis in the world here, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it needs to be beyond uh, coaching X's and O's. And, you know, coach, they used to be, hey, let's let's go teach the fundamentals of the game. Let's go win some stuff. We'll lose some stuff too. And that's called coaching. I believe that, you know, there's the, the critical nature of where athletes are, where society is right now with regards to mental health necessitates not just new solutions, but new deliverers of those solutions. What do you think about that? Absolutely. It's an, it's, it's something we haven't incorporated before. What happened in your past that we need to address that you're still carrying today? And this is a, a new way of looking at it. We can, you can teach or coach or parent and give rules and structure. But if there's something from the past that's not quite resolved, that's we call triggering a person that has to be addressed or all the good coaching in the world will not be successful. Well, if, for example, if a child, if you've got a, a player that you're coaching and that player had a very traumatic event earlier in their life, maybe even preschool, maybe in kindergarten, where, for example, a teacher yelled at them or they were bullied or they had to give a presentation and they froze and they were embarrassed. 
uh, or they were in a home setting and they were bullied or intimidated, those that programming sets us up for repeated similar circumstances until we can integrate it, until we can make sense of it. As children, we could not. Those, what we call traumas, they're not wartime traumas, but they are traumas which have particular elements, they stay frozen, they stay stuck, they stay unresolved, and they tend to repeat over and over. So they can repeat on the, on the sports field, they can repeat in your relationships, they can repeat in your job interviews. Um, they come up, you cannot control them with willpower. They, our body is automatically wired to put us back into that fight, flight, or freeze when we get what we call a trigger out in the world. Clearest example is a war veteran who jumps under the table when he hears a car backfire, right? That's a common example we've heard because he's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm back on the battlefield. Yeah. But the same thing is happening to all of us all of the time, whether we're getting cut off in traffic, we're responding to news, we don't like our coach. If you're the coach, you don't like, maybe you don't like a particular kid on the team, yeah. right? It goes both Let's ways. Be honest. That's right. And so when we're triggered, we call it, or we're activated and we're like, oh, that doesn't matter, it really gets to me. That's something we can take care of very quickly. And that's good news that I have more control over what's actually going on in my world than I thought I did. I just love that what you just said is that it can happen quickly because I believe that, um, you know, look, we're, it's, it's the great irony of this kind of work is that society has storylines that we accept and it prevents people from even trying uh, these awesome techniques. And one of them is, you know, that you have to take a long time through traditional therapy, then it's going to have lots and lots of time. And it, I think that's an inhibitor for people. And um, so is, you know, people who get triggered by the statements that I make, which is, oh, this can happen quickly. And there's like, no, no, that must be something wrong with this. You can't, have, you know, you can't get quick results for stuff like this. What do you see out there when, when you say those words quickly to people, that things can get resolved quickly? Well, it's interesting. And Roger Callahan, who created the predecessor to EFT, actually had a name for that, uh, for the fact that it's hard for us to conceptualize and believe that something can happen quickly. And he called it the apex effect. We don't really see that it happened because we're, we're kind of confused. It doesn't make sense. But the shifts, if you're tuning into a trigger, which incorporates a part of exposure therapy. And by the way, sidetrack, EFT incorporates exposure, uh, different kinds of therapies, modalities, breath work, calming, mindfulness. It incorporates a lot of different things. And when you expose yourself to a trigger, whether it's a snake or your boss's face or an email with all caps in it, and you give yourself a, your body a calming signal, those two contradictory things, which is now supported by research, which we won't go into that. It's called memory reconsolidation. Mm -hmm. We give an exposure and a calming, exposure and calming, which is what we do with tapping. The trigger clears in a matter of seconds or minutes. It's that quick. If we're paying attention, we're calming, we could be breathing. If we're in the present moment, in the physical body, you can be taking deep breaths while you're focusing on something that's been triggering you. And it happens instantly such that we try to tell people ahead of time, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, it's going to shift. You're going to need to watch in your environment for how this changes everything because you won't believe it. <laughs> it will happen so quickly. So we sort of pre-frame when we're working with someone using these modalities, because it's not like anything we've been told could happen. 
And it's so, it's a little bit hard to believe. So it is. That's right. And it, it, it's the, the, and by the way, everybody listening, that the, the stats are not just anecdotal. This is clinically studied, and so it's been written about by many people with. Uh, Maybe not as advanced as many degrees as, as Jan, but may, way more than me. But I'm a coach out there. I've been with athletes and this works. So let's let's bring this conversation into the world of uh, coaching right now. So what would be an example of something maybe you've seen when your kids were, were, were growing up and playing sports where a coach maybe tried the traditional ways, maybe in swift and brutal ways or maybe in, you know, loving um Kind of compassionate ways and frankly you know there was a better way to do things so a, a, a way that a coach could be empowered you're thinking scott to approach yeah. it differently yeah. so so you know there's ways we've all seen there's yelling at a kid you know try to get attention it's kind of a coercive leadership method sometimes that's appropriate if they're in danger a lot of times it's not appropriate um and then there's you know the the, the gentler approach of, hey, you put an arm on the shoulder. Uh, maybe these days you don't do that. Um, but there's just, you know, kind of a cognitive kindness. And that can be impactful. As you and I know, though, if, if there's a subconscious program out there, frankly, neither of those things is really going to, to work. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's times when, when your kids, if you don't mind sharing, uh, maybe encountered something like that with a coach. Absolutely. And uh, you're not always as the, as the parent supporting the child, you're probably not going to be successful changing the coach. <laughs> um, you know, we try to be careful getting coaches that we were aligned with the way in the way we parented and that, that helps. But, um, what I would try to do is empower, it's sort of like the bully and the bullied. What I would do from the perspective of a parent is try to empower the child and make sure my kids were not, uh, if they felt intimidated by the coach that I helped them to be not intimidated by the coach if they felt that their skills weren't adequate or they somehow doubted themselves I would try to approach it from my side if I were approaching it from a coach side or working with a coach I would do the same thing if if I'm going to a game and I've got a team and I've got I've got a I've got to be clear and neutral as a coach what are my goals what am I trying to accomplish here uh, am I triggered by that child? Am I triggered by that other team that we're going to play? You know, a lot of times coaches have rivalries. I need to be neutral about that. Um, so as a coach, I need to come into the game clean. I need to come into my coaching situation, not triggered by um, what I think is uh, lack of skill or kids misbehaving or kids not respecting me. Does that make sense? So I need to be clean and clear and neutral, and I need to be the authority figure from the inside out. So as you said, the different practices, I might try to be compassionate. It's not going to work unless it's coming from the heart, unless it's authentic and genuine. And I can't get there unless I've cleared my own baggage. So am I trying to prove something as a coach because I wasn't a successful athlete? I've got to clear that out. You know, did I have a of something that was unsuccessful, a trauma in my life that I'm actually trying to, to relive, uh, you know, vicariously through my players. So I've got to clear all my own stuff out from the coaching perspective. Yeah. So the, this is a good point. I, and I, we're going to get a little, a little nerdy here for a moment here on this. I hope people are interested in this. You know, I, I, I listen to lots of people and read lots of books like you do. And, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a great messenger of a lot of good information and uh, Dr. Joe has said that between 90 and 95% of all human behavior is simply the triggering of subconscious programs. 
and we, we think we have free will. We're just running old programs, a lot of it from our childhood, and that's really what you're talking about. Um, what advice could you give, or, or maybe you could describe this, because I, I think it's one of those things where until you experience it, you may not really fully comprehend it, which is, as a coach, when you said, um, or if you're talking to a sport coach, oh, you've got to come from the heart. And they say, okay, I'm going to be that nice guy or, or, or gal. And when they go out to the field, though, it doesn't quite come out. Even though they want to be that kind person, it doesn't get received well. And I always say this by like little kids and, and, and animals. They know the authentic thing when they, when they hear it, feel it, whatever it may be. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. So it's, it's a really important point. We are taught from a young age to smile, to share, to be nice, to be polite, to be respectful. And I can fake it. You know, I can smile when I'm angry, but anybody can feel that. And if so, if a coach is coming out irritated, a parent comes out irritated, the child is going to feel, feel a mile away. You know, they can probably even feel it before they get to the game. So as the coach, I have to basically do my homework before I get to the coaching uh, session to the prep to the game. What is it that's triggering me? I, I really don't like the fact that every time I put that kid in in the in the position, he ignores what I say. Right? He, I yell at him and tell him what to do, and he ignores me. I have to get my charge down on that until I'm neutral. At that point, and only that point, can I come from a clear, rational place, from a place of my heart. I have to get rid of all the triggering. And so it might seem irrelevant to diving in to do the coaching, but I have to not be triggered by whatever's going on in my life, whatever's going on with each kid on the team. In fact, you might even look at your roster as a coach and go through each kid and just look at that kid's face and now feel my body. Ooh, I get a little tight with that one. Look at that kid's face. Oh, I kind of melt that, that. So I need to be neutral with each kid on the team. And then I need to be, we call it neutral because I'm not reacting with respect to what I expect out of that game. Um, how I want my relationship to be with each kid on the field. So it sounds like I'm talking a little bit about going to get therapy for the coach, but I'm not. I'm talking about being neutral with my triggers. Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. So being neutral, being neutral. So let me just take that word and, and, uh, and you can't do it by faking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in the world of physical training, which I tangentially am part of, and I hang out with some amazing physical trainers, um, they will say, you know, you got to do a screen because you don't want to put load on top of dysfunction. And I think the same thing is kind of what we're talking about here is that you can say, oh, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to put this extra burden of being nice on top of me <laughs> as a coach. I'm going to be neutral. Watch me. Until we resolve the dysfunction in the physical side, it's, you know, is, is the big toe mobile, is the ankle mobile, strong, strong or whatever those are. You really can't do a squat correctly. You can say you're going to, but you've got some fund, foundational, fundamental things that are out of whack down below. And I believe that analogy works here too with this, with what we're describing. Absolutely. And willpower will not let you do the proper squat. And it's not laziness that's keeping you from doing the proper squat. Right. Sometimes, Scott, it could actually be with a coach. 
the relationship between a coach and a player, sometimes the sub, the player is actually subconsciously sabotaging his play if he's got something going on with a coach. And I've seen that happen. Interesting. Um, I've also seen players be become ill or injured when they're not up to the psychological task of doing what's asked of oh, them. Yes. And I've, I've multiple times, especially as, as children, all ages, you see that happening. Yeah. If you aren't minding your mind, body, and spirit, the body will kick in and say, okay, time out. We're not, we're not doing that. Okay. I'm, I'm injured. I'm going to jump in on that because for two reasons. One is that is my story. So when I was in college, I wanted to be that professional athlete and I was putting all sorts of pressure on myself and, oh, I, I broke my thumb or my thumb was broken. It's like, I know some people will say, well, that's just coincidence. And I used to think that too, until I started to really see it through the lens of what you just described in many athletes that I've worked with. Very interesting to see what the body will do to get us out of a situation, because what is the purpose of our, we'll call it our, our brain, but it's more than that. It's survival, you know, yes. and doesn't give a hoot about performance on a field or all this other stuff. It's just like, we got to stay alive and emotional pain. Uh, seems to register in the brain when they do functional MRIs in exactly the same place and intensity as physical pain. <laughs> so it's really an amazing system that we have. And, you know, you talk about sabotage. Um, and also you touched on uh, triggering that between players and coaches. Tie all that together so that we can convince the coaching world that if they want the best on the, out of their team, this needs to be addressed. Right. And so if you think about it as a paradigm for living as a person, my, let's say our goal is to show up as the best, whether you're parent, coach, uh, relationship, whatever. I, my, my goal, let's say my ideal is to show up as the best version of myself at all times, to be loving and kind, to be okay, to play well with others, etc. In order to do that, I have to clear my old baggage. And so in the olden days, we used to think it was talk therapy. You have to go to psychoanalysis with Sigmund Freud for 10 years. Found out that didn't really work. And sometimes actually going back over old traumas can be re-traumatizing. So we don't do that. We're looking for what's still back there that's operating in me today that I have no control over because it's automatic. It's automatically wired for survival, as, as you said, Scott. So how do I find those things that are still triggering me? Well, we look at what's triggering us in our life. And so for a coach, and Scott, maybe you can tell me what is an example, if you can remember, or maybe from your working with other coaches, mm -hmm. what have you noticed is an example of something that has, that triggers a coach and gets them a little off? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, there's, there's a, a long list of things that can, it is, um, uh, players not listening, paying attention, uh, Right. So that's a perfect one. So let's take that one for an example. So as the coach, I'm showing up as this sort of enlightened individual. That's what my goal is. Mm -hmm. So what do I do when I'm not respected? Okay. Let that, let's say as that can irritate a parent, a friend, whatever, but let's say I'm a coach and the kids aren't listening. I'm, I'm being really serious. Now you guys pay attention here. I'm going to yell even louder. What's happening to me? I've just gone into survival because it's triggering a belief I have. It doesn't trigger all coaches when players don't listen. And some coaches, players always listen to them, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. But if, I'm a, if I've got that issue as a coach, I'm going to go back home, close the door, feel that for a minute. What does that feel like when I feel disrespected? Ooh, that gets me. Ooh. 
So here's the thing, Scott, and this is good news. It's not the kids that are doing it, the players that are doing it, the college students that are doing it, the professional athlete. It's something in me that's getting triggered from the past where I have not felt respected. And I have this belief that keeps going that I need someone from the outside to respect me, to affirm that I am good and whole. So if I sit, just sit there and feel what I feel like to be disrespected, oh, uh, that doesn't feel good. So I might do something simple with the tapping or I I could simply put my hand over my heart and make sure I'm in my body breathing and just take a few minutes and feel, oh, ah, being disrespected. Oh, I see the, I see that kid, those kids over there, those players over there goofing, goofing off, looking at their phones, and I'm trying to tell them what to do. Feel it in the body. And this is where we're clearing old trauma. It's this simple. Now, for a coach, this is something you, you would be a little more efficient and effective to do it at home. And then when you get back to the co coaching situation, you've cleared some of that out. If you're still triggered, you're going to clear more out. And what you're going to find, this is the magic, the players are going to start to listen without you raising your voice because you now are showing up differently. You are not needing them to affirm you, to respect you. You have a belief inside now where you've switched your belief to, I need others to respect me, to I am a respectable person and I, you know, I feel good with who I am showing up differently your team will be transformed this this is the magic i i am getting i'm getting emotional in a happy way when i hear that because that is the magic that uh i love seeing unleashed into the world and for what you know for people who maybe haven't studied any of this or quantum physics because this is we're getting into some of this with here we are entangled with each other here how can they believe that working on themselves is going to have an impact on a child who, or you know, of any age, or people of any age, when they have not had even a conversation about it or said you know, kind things to each other? How does that work? Right, so here's the, here's the really encouraging thing. You can really just take the little bit that we're talking about today. If you wanna grab a, uh, a little um, picture online of EFT tapping, or you can, you can find it on my website. It'll say, learn how to tap and, and everything you need will be right there. You don't have to buy anything, invest in anything, hire anyone, you can start today. And here's how you would do it. What you do is set up your own experiment. Give it two, three, four, five times. Don't just try it once, okay. right? Take, take something that's triggering you. Notice how much it's triggering you. Write that down on a scale of zero to 10. Oh boy, that's a 10. Write that down. And then you're going to, you're going to follow the EFT or the breath work, and you're going to feel it. You're not going to try to explain it away. And I need to just kick that person off the team. You're just going to take the hit. I like to say, just feel that. Ooh, feel how that's washing over my body. At the same time that we're staying in the body, you're breathing calmly, and maybe you're adding the tapping. Now keep doing that. It might take you a few minutes, but not that long. Keep triggering yourself. You might take a snapshot of what's triggering you. Keep looking back at the snapshot in your mind. Keep breathing, maybe add the tapping until you notice that your, your, your response rating, your, uh, your distress level is no longer a 10. It's like, all right, maybe it's an eight, maybe it's a six. Keep doing it until you get it down. Now, go back to your life, put all that away and notice what happens. You will notice people acting differently, players acting differently. Now. Don't quit there. Try it again. You know, do give yourself three, four, five times. Then you're going to see the pattern is 100%. Things have changed. 
you show up differently, they show up differently. Now I can show up and all of my skills as a coach, all of my skills as a human, my heart opens, everything is transformed. And we're talking about a matter of minutes. I'm not talking about 15 years of uh, personal work. I'm talking about, and that's why it caught my attention, Scott. Um, as you mentioned, I had a law degree. I was a CPA, uh, but and I had my kids. And when I saw that this could transform their life in a matter of minutes, I was hooked. We were on ski vacations and I was taking my portable DVD player, watching DVDs on how to do this. I was so excited that you could click quickly clear a charge. And what I saw my children be able to leave anxiety behind, stress behind, worry behind. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I just didn't turn, turn back from that point. I thought this is a simple tool everyone needs. I love that. And I agree. Absolutely. And um, let me get back to something you said earlier, because it helps connect the dots here. You said, we talked about the old ways, you know, people thought Freudian ways, the Freudian expository methods were the way to go. Interesting. Um, I went to Brown and uh, there, there was a graduate of Brown University, uh, Dr. Daniel Deck, just passed away. He was like 100, 101 years old. He created something in response to what it, we, we just said was that the Freudian way mm, just wasn't didn't look good to him. He was he was not a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist. He was a medical doctor who was just curious about all things neuro. And uh, tell you how times changed. He he um, somehow <laughs> got a position in charge of the um, psychiatry department of a hospital system back in the 1950s. You know, they never would do that today. You'd have to have some you know degree in that. But he was curious. He was smart. He came up with something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And so that became the mainstay of, uh, of psychology for all these decades. And now here we have, again, something else, which you're describing as EFT. There's other things out there that are, that are really, let's just say it, faster in so many cases than using cognitive behavioral therapy, which was you know, the mainstay for all these decades. And I just want to point that out to listeners here is that, you know, we can, we can always rely on something of the past we can also look forward out there and see what is truly working. And um, I love what you said, Jan, is to, I call it connecting the dots. Try it and watch. Try it and watch. Yeah, and give it a couple of times, not because it won't work the first few times, but because you won't believe it the first few times. So give yourself a few times right. and also maybe practice on a loved one because sometimes it's easier to see the shift in someone else and they may not see it. Yeah. There was, so, so back to CBT, Scott, cognitive behavioral therapy has been the gold standard in psychotherapy for many years. It's well, well researched and in clinical trials with which we have over 20 years of experience now with tapping, it's been validated as evidence-based for uh, phobias, for uh, PTSD, for depression and anxiety. It's been compared in head-to-head -head studies with CBT and here's, here's what they found. It is as effective as CBT, but it's quicker because we don't need homework like you do with the, with CBT, which tends to try to retrain the brain. With EFT, with tapping and other mindfulness energy psychology techniques, we're alleviating the charge instantly. We get a cognitive update internally from the system, not from something that we try to wire in over wire. It was, um, uh, the name is Skip, uh, um, 
skipping the what not not dispensa but uh, i'm sorry i forget the name of the guy who says that it's um like trying to talk over a tape recorder if i say i'm a great player i'm a great player mm. i'm a great player but my cognitive programming is no you're not you're a loser and you're a lousy athlete so what scott said about the subconscious mind 95 percent of our actions coming from the subconscious mind not our five percent cognitive good willpower but guess what's in the subconscious mind negative stuff dark stuff limiting beliefs that's what people have have proposed is in the subconscious mind so we're trying to get in there and update that programming wow this is a lot here um again coaches who are listening athletes anybody trainers who have daily access to people um like these athletes the way to make a, a, a permanent high level change in somebody is through the subconscious. And I know that word can seem daunting. And if you listen to what Jan was saying here, I hope you'll, you'll uh, pay attention to these words is that it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to know what their childhood was like. You don't have to ask them questions about anything. You have to simply do this tapping process and other modalities that are, that are good. But tapping is great because we can bring it out onto the field and things get cleaned up. So Jan, how does, can you describe, um, you don't have deep science on it, but why would a player all of a sudden be able to perform better on a field in any sport because they went through this process? If there's a, a triggering, if there's something in the environment that's triggering and keep in mind when I say triggering, uh, it's, it's our sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. It's things in the environment that my physical body, maybe not even my conscious mind, is hearing or seeing. So a, a player could literally be on the field and a large yellow bus could go by. And that could be something that triggers and shuts down and put me into survival mode based on my past programming. So I could instantly have a different experience if I tune into what's triggering me and in most cases, we don't really know. So just watch your physical body. All of a sudden, my stomach got tight. Just feel that and use one of these modalities, whether it's breath work, mindfulness, be in your physical body, hand over your heart. There's heart math. Tapping is a simple one that's easy, easy and readily available. You can be tapping on any of the points that you see on the tapping diagram. So I'm tuning into this dysfunction, this disruption in the body and I'm tapping. What happens is when I clear that out of the body in a matter of minutes, the, the event that that goes back to, I where I learned something that said danger, danger, now instantly changes because I've given it a calming signal. So now I have the trigger. I look at that picture again or that, that feeling in the body and I, and I don't have a response. I realize I'm not in danger. So the subconscious mind is updated instantly from, oh my gosh, danger, danger to I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm fine. So my anxiety is now was a 10. It's now zero. So now I can show up. I have all my faculties available. I can use all the training that I've had, all of my athletic skills, and I'm ready to go. But if you shut me down with a trigger, my body literally literally recoils and reacts. So one quick thing before I, before I let you have it back, you said you don't have to know all the history. You don't have to know the trauma. The body has it all. And there are books with the title of that, The Body Keeps the Score, et cetera, by Bessel van der Kolk. So we don't have to, we're not doing psychotherapy on the field. We're just saying, oh, 
you you look like you got a little anxious there. What what's going on there in your body? Just just follow that. Okay. So if I tune into that and I do one of these calming methods, I'm going to get an instant shift and an instant cognitive update. Awesome. 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 I love that. I'm going to give you an example of not having to figure it out and having a big impact. So coaches are out there. So I had the pleasure of working with a college pitcher um, and he had what's known as the yips for uh, two, two years, which is un, to me unfathomable how he could even hang in there. He's must have, he is a tough kid um, and you know, have some resiliency because when you have the yips, your world is destroyed in your, in your sport. The yips, for anybody who doesn't know, is when your body uh, simply cannot do the very basic things. In golf, it's called make a three-foot putt if you're a professional or two-foot putt. It, you could focus all day long and try all sorts of things. It's just not happening. And in baseball, it's called playing catch. All of a sudden, you can't play catch. You cannot throw the ball 20 feet to somebody, and you could be a 20-year veteran. There have been major leaguers who have had to retire because they had the yips. And so this particular young man in college um, was an all-star, you know, high-level pitcher, 95 miles per hour, fastball touching 97, and all of a sudden it just degraded, and uh, he could not uh, throw the ball across the plate. He had um, a game when several pitches went to the backstop in a row, and you don't even see that. It might be you see it at Little League once in a while, and. Um, I was fortunate enough to be contacted by his pitching coach, worked with him one session, and I, I admittedly threw the kitchen sink at him because he was a—he uh, didn't have any much time left to, to play in college. And um, But I never understood, I never knew exactly why he had the yips. We just did our tapping, we did some breathing, we did some other stuff. He got, our, he got an appearance on the mound, and believe me, his coaches were scared to put him back on the mound because <laughs> you, know, you don't know where that ball's gonna go when somebody has the yips. But um, if you look at my website, the testimonial from the coach says, uh, poof was the word, poof. All of a sudden, everything he threw was right around the plate. And interestingly, his velocity uh, had dropped when he had the yips. He went down to like 87 miles per hour. And after that one session, boom, right back up to 95. Fascinating how the body works. And again, I never figured out, I didn't even try to figure out really what, the, what was there. I just let the subconscious do its thing, tap, feel, tap, feel. In other words, let the let the client feel what's inside of them. And uh, that's kind of the magic of what all this is. And uh, Jan, but one more last topic before I let you go here is, you know, the world is in um, probably the highest state of mm, angst um, that I think anybody in, in modern history could record. And we are a technological society now. We're going through this for the first time where there's so much angst, so much technology. And uh, I think what we're finding is that traditional solutions are no longer satisfactory because the demand <laughs> is so intense that we cannot rely solely on uh, licensed psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers because the numbers don't work. I'm just going to put it out there. The National Institute for Mental Health says 53 million Americans need mental health care. I think that number is actually low, um, but let's call it 20% of the United States. There's not enough man hours in the licensed world to cover everybody. And then you go deeper. I've looked at this. A third of the counties in the greatest industrial nation in the world, a third of the counties don't even have one licensed psychologist. 
And so to rely solely on that uh, traditional response, by definition, we just can't. And so then it comes down to uh, non-degreed practitioners of EFT and other things out there. Um, what do you think? Can, can, can these techniques be used to address the mental health needs of society? Scott, I think we have to use them to address these mental health needs. I, it's interesting with EFT, which Gary Craig was, he was not a licensed mental health person. He was a retired businessman uh, and a Stanford trained engineer. And he really brought this to us through grassroots by selling DVDs. Had it come in through traditional psychotherapy, you and I probably wouldn't even know about it today because that process is slow and arduous and uh, very controlled and only you know, it's limited to people that are licensed, but this came through where we all learned it. What I found over the years, and I did go back to get uh, a traditional license, people started going to other trained psychologists, psychiatrists and saying, I wanna find out about this EFT thing. Mm -hmm. So they were finding results through their friends, family on YouTube as that came into being, where they were getting, you know, they were calling pe people and say, do you do EFT? I want this EFT stuff. So yes. And it's easy and it's a self, it's a it's a peer-to-peer self-help kind of modality. It's not, if you have a professional working with you, it's great. You might get quicker results, but this is something you can do at home. That's how I started. I think that's how you started, Scott. You can do it at home with your every single day with your with your your own personal issues with your friends and family. So we we have to add these techniques and it's a simple as tuning into the physical body and noticing, wow, I got a reaction from that. I just saw the news. My body is tightening up. You know, I just, I got a phone call. Oh, my body's tightening up. My, my phone just dinged. Ah, I've got to follow the body back and clear that trauma out. So I think it's, it's going to be our, our say, our saving to use these energy psychology, ecology modalities ourselves and take this whole responsibility for it. Yeah, you know, I saw a quote from uh, the head of clinical psychology department at the University of Virginia, and, and she put it, the future of mental health care is going to be non-degreed people with high efficacy techniques, delivering them at the uh, hair salon and the drugstore, you know, just any place. And that's where people will yeah. go to get kind of their first line of, uh, of um, you know, whatever the right word is, they're going to get help. And um, people will be trained enough over time to recognize when that person may need to go see somebody who is uh, a licensed professional. And yet so much can be cleared up so fast. So I'm so I'm, fast. I'm and it's, so it's fun. And it's just so inspirational to see people shift and to leave baggage behind. It frees them up and changes their life path. Yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, that you'd like to say, Jan, you've been so great here, uh, educating us and inspiring us. Um, I know that you do workshops and, and certifications and all sorts of things. Please let people know how they can contact you. And if they, if they go to my website, they can, that's kind of a good starting point. And hopefully I've got many resources listed there. There are uh, a lot of, there are a few organizations that they could check out. One is the EFT universe. I train for them. There's the um, tapping solution with Nick Ordner. They have an international summit coming up. It's free. There's the association for comprehensive energy solid psychologists, ASEP. They have an annual conference, which got my attention years ago. And they have really cool stuff there. And it's for non it for professionals and non-professionals. 
Um, and then there's EFT International. We also do trainings. But uh, uh, parting words, I would say, get just get a quick little printout of the EFT protocol or watch it on YouTube, tap along, experiment with it because people will say, I tried EFT 20 years ago and it worked, but then I didn't really follow up. Give it, give it five or 10 tries and then you'll, you'll be hooked. I have used it for cancer, for needle phobia, for uh, 18 month old. I have an 82 year old right now, Vietnam war veteran that just stopped having panic attacks after we worked on an incident that happened in the sixties. So keep an open, use it on everything. Any situation you're dealing with that has a level of stress, when you bring down that stress, the situation will change. It might just be that you're in too much debt. Feel that stress, let that come down, solutions will appear. So keep an open mind, use it on everything and practice and play with it. It's it's magic. That is fabulous, that's fabulous. Well, great. Well, Jane, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on thank today. Thank you, and, Scott. Yeah, and share all of this. I have a feeling we're going to have a part two or three, four over the course of months. This is a great information, and I know you're loaded with more. Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support this podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or just leave a rating and review. And uh, you know, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram. It's uh, coach underscore Scott underscore Fox. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. And uh, most of all, though, just give me a call. Um, I would love to set up a time to chat with you. Um, my phone number is 703-624-8265. I know there's some people in, in the podcast world who are scared to death to put their phone number out there. They don't want people to call them. I do. Right? And I think it'd be great to have it. And it's a joy, whether you're a coach, an athlete, or a non-athlete. Um, definitely would love to speak with you. Thanks again, and uh, I'll see you next time.